What's up, NBA fans? The NBA season is officially started in a way. The free agency period of the res- resume season has begun. Uh, the deadline for players to report whether or not they want to opt out out of the Orlando bubble was yesterday. So we've got that complete list in front of us. But yet the NBA bubbles does not seem guaranteed at this point. We got coronavirus cases rising in Florida. We got players speaking out against uh, participating due to their concerns uh, with the protest movements and the racial movements in this country. All valid reasons, of course. So we'll get into that and see if the NBA bubble is about to burst before it even really reaches its full uh, blown scale. But before we dive into that, we got to talk about uh, one player, Vince Carter, this man, the legend, the walking highlight retiring from the NBA. And before we go into that, Sean, I got a trivia question for you, which I mean, at this point, I don't know if you can get this wrong. (laughs) This is such a loaded question, especially after what I just said. But here it is nonetheless. Sean, who was the last active NBA player to appear on a game on the Nintendo 64? (laughs) That's a great, that's a great question. Man, what a tough one, you know? I, I... (laughs) <laughs> Names are just flying through my head right now. I'm just going to take a stab at it and say Vince Carter. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Couldn't get, I couldn't figure out a way to uh, word a question like this, you know, without essentially giving away <laughs> the answer. Are you obviously clearly connecting the dots? No, I like the way you did uh, it, though, because it's a fun <laughs> fact about him, you know? Like, I didn't, <laughs> like, I would not have thought of that question. <laughs> It's in relation to Vince Carter. Like that that really does date him really well. <laughs> yeah, and I came up across this, you know, obviously this isn't the top off the top of my head. I'm not that big of a although I was a big <laughs> NBA live fan at one point, I did not come off the top of the my head is just Google searches and various <laughs> blogs, you know, jumping in through rabbit holes. I would have given you the credit, man. I would have given that to you. <laughs> yeah, so shout out to I forgot the exact blog I saw this in, but it's a small one, but they, <laughs> they were the ones who should be credited with this. But here's a follow-up then, uh, Sean. Okay. What NBA Live was it that had the the that had the last incarnation of Vince Carter in there? For, I guess first or la- first and last. I mean, his rookie year was nineteen ninety-nine, so I'll say nineteen ninety-nine. <laughs> yes. I guess that wasn't that hard. All right, yes, sweet. NBA Live. <laughs> 1999 is the last video game is the first video game to have had Vince Carter and it was also the last NBA live on the Nintendo 64 therefore it is the last time that it featured uh, Vince Carter being the last NBA active player to have his player persona on the Nintendo 64 so that those days are are over now and we're actually not that far probably from having players who were on the PlayStation 2, I would imagine, and also gone. I don't know. LeBron, LeBron was on those PlayStation 2 games for sure, so <laughs> there'll be at least a few more years before we can make that stat. Yeah, it is just crazy to, to just sort of think about that. And on that note, I guess just a sort of off topic, the NBA 2K21 uh, trailer came out, and in my thoughts on it just quickly here, and I'm, I don't know what you think, Sean, is these trailers just seem a little ridiculous and that every time it just seems like the players just get sweatier and sweatier <laughs> on them. <laughs> yeah, I have seen that before. I saw a meme that was 
I can't remember what player it was. It's just like 2015 version of this player. It's just like not sweaty. And then 2020 is just like drenched in sweat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then when you're actually playing the game, that's sort of a minor detail that doesn't really get picked up on. I mean, you've got the, 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 the zoomed out camera all the time. Do we really need an NBA 2K game every year? Like before, before we honor Vince Carter, like, do we really need, like, I don't know, slightly updated graphics? Th- these <laughs> games don't change at all. Like, this could easily just be a DLC for 2019. I've been wondering that since you know, I and I, I understood the case. Obviously, like PlayStation Two days when like there was no DLC, right? You know, but but since like I don't know what 2013, 2014, <laughs> technology's been there. Yeah. yeah, so I've been wondering that myself. I've been wondering how sustainable that model is. Um, and it's lasted a lot longer than I thought it would. I thought for sure 2018, 2017 would be the end of consecutive 2K or sport sports releases. I thought maybe we'd go to like every two years or so. It's just like when you're, so I don't yeah, know. When your only thing that you're able to market the game on is it's more realistic. Like how many times can you say it's more realistic before – it can't be more realistic. I feel like we've already reached yeah. that point, honestly. Like, I feel like the 2018 graphics look exactly the same as the 2020 run graphics with more sweat. Like, it, it just... <laughs> ah, I just... I can't do it. I can't buy these games anymore, man. Like, I'm over it. Yeah, I agree. The last NBA 2K I bought was NBA 2K 16 or 17. And I have NBA 2K 20 because it was a Christmas <laughs> gift. Uh, but even then, it was kind of just like... Uh, towards the closer, like just a couple months ago, so towards the end of the life cycle for this for this NBA 2K as, we, as NBA 2K 21 has now been announced. So yeah, I I'm with you on that. I've I've I'm kind of just like I'm surprised that the companies have been able to sustain these models for so long. Um, but I mean, as the game gets more expanded, I do wonder whether it from a cost benefit ratio whether it makes sense to invest all this cost on releasing a game every year. Right. It's just, it's so much extra effort, you know, like mm-hmm. sure. I guess there's something to be said for them being able to just blast it out on, on TV and YouTube, social media channels. But I feel like you could just do the same thing with 2020 and, and save yourself the effort of having to distribute and manufacture an entirely different game and plastic casing and just make it online DLC. Everyone has internet like this isn't a game that is completely just on your own console. Like you're supposed to, it's meant to be played online. It's meant to have the online servers. So there's exactly. no problem there. I I don't know. It, it's stupid. It's dumb. It, it's like Pokemon, right? Like po- Pokemon <laughs> makes like a crappy version of the game every year because they feel like they need to make a game every year. But I feel like 2K could really benefit from just like taking a chill pill. <laughs> not that's that's our video game rant i guess for the day <laughs> yeah i i i i think i agree with you uh there and i mean i just kind of want more classic teams but that's my that's my biggest riff with 2k give us the 20 29 and 2010 lakers already why are we holding out <laughs> for real yeah anyways let's go to vince carter officially announcing his retirement on the winging it podcast uh this i mean we could talk there's a long laundry list of ways to break down I think Vince Carter's career, but basically the full, the few bullet points here is 22 seasons in the NBA, uh, averaged over 20 points in the 11 of his first 12 
seasons. Uh, his best years with, were with Toronto, of course, 25 points, 44% shooting over the span of nine years. The all-time, I guess, probably pretty pretty consensus pick as like one of the greatest slam dunk champs ever in the history of the NBA, winning that in the 2000 Rookie of the Year. Um, just a huge list of highlights, especially probably the greatest NBA, the greatest basketball highlight that came out of the NBA when uh, Vince Carter just underlying laid that notoriously crazy dunk mm-hmm. um, in an exhibition game during the U.S. leading up to the U.S. Uh, uh, leading up to the Olympics. Yeah, I mean the the accolades continue to go on, right? And I mean. The unfortunate thing with Vince Carter's career, though, I think, is that he never got to win an NBA title and never even really got to the finals, I think. I think the closest he got was with Orlando, actually, after his stint with New Jersey. Um, They they Mm -hmm. made it to the semifinals, the Eastern semifinals. And it's just like for a guy of this caliber to not make it that far... That is, I think, the one question mark you could have towards is th- is this going to be a Hall of Famer? I-, I think Vince Carter is probably like a 99% chance to be a Hall of Famer, but that is the one thing I would I might point to and be like, yeah, this guy never even played in the finals, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it kind of stinks because here's the thing about his career as well is he came pretty damn close to being on teams that were either a going to be in the finals or B potentially an NBA champ. For example, that New Jersey Nets team made it to the finals. A year later they add Vince Carter <laughs> and they never go back. I know. Like how that Orlando team, yeah. That Orlando team made the finals. Then they add Vince Carter and they, you know, they never go back. They make oh. it to the Eastern Conference Finals, make it to the second round. And then there's also the Dallas Mavericks team that won the NBA title. And then a year later, <laughs> Vince Carter. Always a year too late. So he's always like kind of just late to the party in some ways. Um, but that's not to, not a knock against his career because I think he's always been a solid player overall. But I think what really takes him over the hump is just going to be the... Because so much of the Hall of Fame is just about leg- the legacy right. and the, how you are remembered and... Some of these other things like, you know, for for Vince Carter, the things that stand out are going to be his dunks, sort of the <laughs> human highlight reel, the cultural icon that he was for the NBA. Um, you know, he never really was. He was at one point, I guess, one of the top two guards, but he never really was arguably one of the best players in the game at any point and he, at any year. Um, but yeah. to me, he's still a Hall of Famer simply for the fact that he was a solid two guard and he came in and really... Uh, vamped up the NBA in those late 90s and early 2000s. Yeah, for sure. Phenomenal talent by any degree mm-hmm. that you measure it. And I do think it's commendable that like you see a lot of these players towards the end of their careers trying to just get on teams that have a chance at making the playoffs and chance at winning the title. The favorites, the contenders. But Vince Carter mm-hmm. took a completely different path at the end of his career. I mean, his, his last few years were playing with the Kings and the Hawks, <laughs> two of the worst franchises as of late. And it just goes to show, I feel like he just wanted to p- be able to play basketball as long as he could. He wasn't going to get those minutes if he was able to join a contender. So he was able to actually right. play some minutes. I mean, when you look at it with the Kings, he was averaging 17 minutes a game still. Same thing with Atlanta. And then even like 15 minutes a game this season. In his 22nd year in the NBA, still averaging 15 minutes a game. 
So I, I think that he just loved playing basketball more than he cared about piggybacking for an NBA championship, even though that is the one thing that really eluded him in his career. And I, I think that's really commendable. And it's, it speaks to him also wanting to, I think, be a part of the future of the NBA and be a part of these young Kings teams and young Hawks teams that have a lot of promise and a lot of potential, but haven't met it yet. I mean, the, he, he was on the team when, uh, when the Kings had a, I think Buddy Heald might've been on the team, but definitely De'Aaron Fox um, was on that team. Yeah. So he was able to really mentor him. And now with Trey Young, John Collins, that young Hawks team is able to really show them the ropes. And I, I mean, I think that they have as good a potential as anyone in the next few years. And, I think having Vince Carter on those rosters towards the end of his career to be that that veteran presence, that veteran voice, and really show them how it's done, I, I think that's really going to accelerate the growth of those two franchises, uh, which otherwise they might not have been able to get over that hump. Yeah, and I think the crazy thing is like Vince Carter has spent just as many years in the NBA as some players that he was on the roster with were alive yeah there was the stat <laughs> just, that like uh or trey young or luka Doncic wasn't born when vince carter started playing in the nba yeah that's crazy that's so insane to me but that's who he that's who he was spent you talk about the love of the game when you break the math down this man has spent a little bit over half his life at this point <laughs> in the nba that is damn impressive which is unreal but yeah, you're right. Totally the ma- a man who loves the game, and he came in, you know, with high expectations. And dubbed the next Michael Jordan, as was <laughs> so some, many several others. Other, yeah. yeah, so many other two guards. But he obviously, like, I think um, the for a while there, the eye was really tough on him, just for the same reason that he was so talented and he just produced such insane highlights. And I think he kind of got bad a bad cred there. Uh, midway through his career in the mid 2000s when you know he for he was one of the few players at that time it wasn't quite heard of for players to so publicly force their way out of a franchise and yeah of course Vince Carter did that forcing his way out of Toronto with for good reasons I think <laughs> now when you look back to it that franchise was really not hadn't made great decisions to protect their superstar and wasn't probably headed in a in a good direction I mean Toronto versus who the New Jersey Nets were at that point with a Richard Jefferson and a and a prime Jason kid, I think I would have taken that that route as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think he got bad cred from there, uh, and I and but he's been he was able to redeem himself, just like you said, Sean, towards the end there, and just really I think he walks away from the NBA today as a guy known for his highlight reels and for for the love of of his, of the game and for his love for the game. So um, we'll definitely miss Vince Carter, I think. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, fantastic athlete, phenomenal to watch. And it's just, it's a little bit more of an end of an era. You know, these 90s players are just continuing to be siphoned out. Soon we're going to be in a league with just players that were in the league in the 2000s or or, or um, earlier now. Tyson Chandler mm-hmm. is the only remaining player to have played against Michael Jordan in the league now with Vince Carter retiring. And Tyson Chandler's going to be on his way out very soon, I feel like. Maybe not uh, retiring at the, in this offseason, but maybe next one, maybe the year after. But this is that's the end of an era. Like We're just looking at players that are at least in 2000s or more recent. Yeah. That's so, that seems crazy, but that's time, right? Where like, it just, it continues moving. Um, And 
God, I, 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 I just still can't believe this that this life has moved this quickly. But it's awesome to see that. And this is a that's kind of a crazy stat that you put here, Sean Tyson Chandler, the mm-hmm. only remaining player played against <laughs> Michael Jordan. And we're talking about a Washington Wizards Michael Jordan too, yeah. right? Like mm-hmm. that's how far along the timeline we now are. But you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Any last any last words here on Vince Carter? Oh man, just gotta love gotta love that slam dunk championship, man. I think that is the most lasting memory that Vince Carter will leave for me is that in the year 2000 when he had that dunk with the elbow all the way into the rim. That, yeah. The honey dip, I believe it's called. That that was <laughs> that was vintage Vince Carter. And it, it is interesting, too, that I think that he is mostly known as a Raptor when I feel like he played just as well with the Nets. But I don't really mm-hmm. see him as a Net for some reason. He's seen as a Raptor. Despite all the turmoil that happened at the end of his time there, and really he was only there for like five years. This isn't like a, I don't know, like a you're there till the end of your career type of thing. It's not like Kobe with the Lakers or LeBron with the Cavs. It's he was only there five years, but I see him as a Raptor. That's just how I'll always know him. Yeah, I I think that all the the famous highlights just come from those days, and there's just something almost like mythical or magical now about those purple raptor jerseys i know right they're just very <laughs> that, enticing that has just caught on the last couple of years and and i think that highlight in the dunk contest definitely magnifies that a lot and yeah. that if anything from vince carter like that will never go away that highlight will be repurposed by the <laughs> nba in any kind of marketing or storytelling i think they do for years to come totally well deserved too yeah, exactly. So moving on from that, let's go to the New York Knicks who are starting to potentially fill in their head coaching vacancies, uh, trying to poach off Jason Kidd from L.A., uh, making some inter- interesting moves here to try to get their franchise back back together. Yeah, I think the choices that they have, at least as the people that they're most interested in right now, are, are pretty interesting Maybe it's culturally charged. It's hard to say, but it does seem like they are trying to hire for diversity, whether it be race or gender. Because I mean, Jason Kidd, uh, Mike Brown, Ime Udoka, who's the 76ers assistant. And then you have Becky Hammond, uh, the Spurs assistant coach, who has been getting quite a bit of praise in recent years for her knowledge of the game and being really like what's looking like going to be the first possible female head coach in the NBA. Uh, if it's going to be anybody, it's going to be her. That would be an amazing mm-hmm. PR move for the Knicks, obviously. And it would be really interesting to see how she'd do in that role. And then you have Jason Kidd, obviously. And then when you when you say Jason Kidd, people start to question, oh, they're trying to make a run at Giannis mm-hmm. to, to pair him up with his favorite coach, Jason Kidd, again. It's like, oh, I don't know about that. That just seems like a long shot. But you never yeah. know. And I don't know. There's some interesting picks in here. I, I like the the guys that they're and the girls that they're going for here. Uh, but it's, it seems like it's still pretty early in the process. We'll have to see who they actually end up interviewing and then end up going with. Ultimately it's, it'll be a big deal. Yeah. The Knicks are a big franchise. We want to see if they do anything correct. <laughs> yeah. My stance on the Knicks continues to be the same as last time. I think we talked about this, which is like their problems are rooted so much more than just head coaching vacancy or who they fill in that head coaching job with. I think it's like rosters, front office needs some work, and they just need a couple years of things 
of some consistency and things going their way. Yeah. Um, I think this is a solid list of good names. On the, on the point of Becky Hammond, uh, I I think it, I nothing against her, but I would honestly not like to see her in New York and see her start her NBA head coaching career in New York because it just feels like any young person who steps into the Knicks job just gets thrown you just fire think that at there's them. just no way anyone can succeed in this job <laughs> yeah that's what I'm that's that's what I ultimately really think I think if somebody I think Mike Brown might be the best hire just because he's a solid NBA coach and he has experience and I think he can handle uh I don't even know because I thought Dave Fizdo could have been that guy too could just handle the adversity of the New York basketball climate um but I I I don't I would hate to see Becky Hammond go there you know we get this huge PR story and yeah the New York Knicks pick up some some cred there but however like all of a sudden her career just gets torn Derailed, to pieces yeah. within the first year yeah that that is a good point and then it's with the coach Fizdale thing right like I think I was about as excited as anybody to see him land another head coaching job and then they like just fire him like nothing <laughs> like oh did you expect him to help you make the playoffs after a year is that what you expected from him that's ridiculous yeah. so it's like if they if they go into this head coaching job with the same mentality like no one's going to succeed they have to give any of these candidates at least 3 to 4 years to actually see improvement because the lack of success with the Knicks is so deep rooted in terrible front office management. You cannot expect a head coach to make all the difference in a year, especially with the roster that they continue to construct. The general management's terrible. The ownership's terrible. No coach would be able to succeed. And I don't think doc rivers. I don't think Quinn Snyder. I don't think Nick nurse, any of these amazing NBA coaches right now, none of them would be able to help the Knicks win any more games. Exactly. I mean, they have Phil Jackson, and Phil Jackson has not come back to <laughs> yeah, anything he has NBA one, like it Nothing senses. to do with it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think, yeah, you're, and I guess that's one of the benefits of being like an Atlanta Hawk franchise or being like the Sacramento Kings, where you can kind of just rebuild in the NBA caves and silence a little bit on your own over the years, and then come back. Uh, guns blazing whereas a franchise like the New York Knicks has just not been able to see the benefits of that um, so <laughs> especially when you have Stephen well, A. Smith just blasting them on, on ESPN every like other week <laughs> yeah exactly so I, I I would go with a Mike Brown just go with a solid choice and, and just figure out your roster and figure out what you, who you're going to go with like you know whether you want to keep the Jason Julius Randle uh, yeah. core that you have there, <laughs> or you somehow work some way to move that around and let RJ Barrett develop, or you play your chances in the draft for a couple years. Oh man, they're just been so bad at drafting too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they need time, time. Um, but moving on from there, let's go to Demarcus Cousins, one of the gems in the this NBA uh, mini free agency season so far right now. And it seems like he was geared to play, and then it goes back and forth. But now it seems like he'll officially not be he'll he'll officially stay sidelined at least until the next season, uh, which is I mean honestly it's understandable. Like eight games to come right back after that injury. I think if somebody needs time, it's Demarcus Cousins to get himself fully ramped up. Yeah, I think for him, 
it probably was tempting because it's an opportunity to show that you're healed, right? That you're recovered mm-hmm. and you can play basketball again and then maybe secure yourself a little more money going into next season. So there's that risk reward you have there. But I think this just means that he doesn't feel he's quite ready for that either. So yeah, he, he's going to have to probably take another minimum contract next year, which is unfortunate for a guy that, this talented who should still be producing big NBA numbers at this point in his career, just derailed by injury. We just had to hope for the best. And I mean, hopefully that this extended rest that this uh, pandemic's unfortunately giving us right now actually does play to his favor, plays to his and John Wall's favor. Also uh, giving these guys a little extra rest before they have to play another NBA game. I think this Mm -hmm. could definitely be in DeMarcus Cousins favor in the long run, but yeah, it sucks for him for, for next year. He's going to have to play for a little less money than he'll probably deserve. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's still at that age where he could be. And maybe in a different world where he doesn't get injured, he is, you know, top two, top three centers in the NBA still. Oh, yeah, still. for sure. Like, yeah. I mean, he can, can he shoot the three? I don't remember if he can shoot the three. He's okay. Yeah, not quite not there bad. yet. Today's NBA, yeah, yeah kind of got to be like at least Joel Embiid, thirty percent from the three, you know. Yeah, he can do it though. I mean, he's just as strong in other areas as well. Yeah, I guess Jokic um, doesn't really shoot the three that well either. <laughs> so you, yeah, yeah, Jokic. Oh man, come on, this guy. Oh let's yeah, so let's, let's talk about. Let's yeah, <laughs> we'll get to him. Yeah, that's he. Yeah, that's a name we forgot to mention over, down here too. But we'll get to him. <laughs> Yeah. So how about this? Now that we're, you know, thoughts or the NBA is going doing this Orlando thing, uh, you you pulled up a little nugget here, Sean, and like of <laughs> uh, the names or or distinctions given to the hotels where all the NBA teams are staying at based off their seating. And honestly, when I'm looking at this list, what it looks like is what would have potentially been the group play tiers, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's uh, it's very interesting to see that they're really kind of having a hierarchical structure with the way that they're basing these seedings. I guess it's one way to give teams home court advantage where you otherwise can't really give it to them now that they're all playing in a neutral site. But, I mean, basically breaking it down, they have the three hotel locations on the Disney World campus. You have the Grand Destino, which is which is the, arguably the best one. And then you have the gr- the Grand Floridian, which is second best. And then you got the Yacht Club, which <laughs> I don't know how nice all these hotels actually are, but I, I'm guessing that the Yacht Club is for the budget-friendly families that come to Disney World. (laughs) So in in the Grand Destino, the super nice one, you have the top seeds. You have the Bucks, Lakers, Raptors, Clippers, Celtics, Nuggets, Jazz, and Heat. And then in the Floridian, you got the Thunder, Sixers, Rockets, Pacers, Mavs, Nets, Grizzlies, and Magic. And then the Yacht Club's reserved for those teams that are outside of the top eight in each conference, the Blazers, Kings, Pelicans, Spurs, Suns, and Wizards. So I think that's really funny. And it's definitely <laughs> intentional, of course, obviously, because there's just no way this would be random. Uh, so yeah. I guess they are giving them somewhat of an advantage for, for having a better regular season. But we don't know for sure that the... I mean, I've never been to Orlando Disney World, so I don't know for sure that the Grand Destino is a better... Hotel than the Yacht Club. That's <laughs> yeah, I don't not, know that, that for sure. <laughs> but my 
intuition leads me to believe that that is definitely the case. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know I how mean, pissed still... LeBron would be if the if De'Aaron Fox was in the best hotel and he was in the budget-friendly one? <laughs> but still, I mean, I still... It, like, the Yacht Club can't be, like... I'm it's sure it's not, not a, tr- a dump. I'm sure it's not a like Motel not- 6. <laughs> <but> <laughs> like a Holiday Inn. But I don't know. Like- maybe for some of these multi-millionaires, maybe it does feel like a Motel 6 for them. I don't know. Yeah. I was going to say, like, I doubt the Yacht Club has, like, you know, like, the... Uh, the continental breakfast with the bagels <laughs> salt kind of semi-stale. <laughs> Maybe, dude. I actually like hotel breakfast personally, though. I think it's just because it feels free, even though obviously it comes with the price of the hotel. <laughs> yeah. And the fact exactly. that you can usually just eat as much as you want, even though it's not that good of food. So eating as much as you want isn't really like that exciting <laughs> but for me it's yeah, like well, the waffle maker you gotta have the waffle maker at least right because <laughs> if the waffle maker's there then it's a great hotel buffet otherwise yeah. it's very mediocre oh, the the waffle maker i guess is it's impossible to have something that doesn't taste good when you can just put a ton of syrup on it <laughs> yes, like exactly <laughs> <laughs> so i'll give the waffles that but the the cereal and the bagels, man. Oh, Some cereal, places cereal. Just like you can't mess up. Plainly, cereal. don't try. <laughs> like I can tell, like the the bagels are stale. Like got them at the cell section on Safeway. You know when they're pretty close to the, you know, expiration date. So they just try to get them out the get them off the shelves. Like, I'm yeah. That just starts to say is I don't. I would be. It'd be funny if that was really what the yacht club was, and there was that huge of a disadvantage there. I mean, the yacht club does imply some form of wealth, right? Because you don't have a yacht if you're not rich. Right. So it's got to at least be a decent one. Yeah, it's not implying value here. (laughs) But I still think it's funny that, like, they obviously split them into hotels based on how good they played. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So so now let's jump into something pretty serious, a little semi-serious, I guess, and, like, whether this thing is actually going to happen because the last few days things have really turned uh, sideways a little Mm -hmm. bit in terms of like stories coming out of Florida where coronavirus is spike and it seems we've now hit consecutive days where the daily total of new cases has hit a new record with yesterday being the latest at 5,550 new cases. And, um, And Florida has been really blatant, you know, talking politically about that they're they're they want to be the state the the popular state that doesn't doesn't restrict things that doesn't restrict businesses and doesn't restrict um events and that's reason that's one of the biggest reasons why the nba and the nfl and all these other sports leagues found a florida to be such an attractive option uh and now that seems like it might be biting the whole state in the butt a mm. little bit and the nba is going to have to seriously start thinking about this and there's no word yet, but still just like the thoughts are definitely there and the discussions I feel should be there because the biggest concern here is you got these cases and you got this bubble established. You got all the security for the players, uh, the NBA staff, NBA coaches, and all the NBA employees and media members. But the Disney staff, though, we're talking the day-to-day mm-hmm. people, janitors, hotel staff, cooks all those people they're not staying in the bubble they're going in and out they are Mm -hmm. orlando locals and they are you know all to say they could be the person the people who essentially just could 
bribe put the biggest health risk to this entire NBA bubble here. Yeah. Um, it's terrifying, man. I'm I'm scared for the players, honestly, and, and for all the staff that, that all these teams are going to bring. It seems like over the last week, obviously, we've seen things reopen. And for like a month there, we were like, you know what? Maybe this coronavirus wave won't be so bad. So we start opening mm-hmm. things up. But then it's just the irresponsibility of a lot of people just not wearing masks in public. And I think things just opening up way too high of a rate. Obviously, we're getting more data from more testing. So maybe we weren't in as good of a place as we thought we were when we started Mm -hmm. reopening. Now that we're seeing all these new cases pop up, 5,500 new cases in a day. Like, (laughs) that is not something to scoff at like that's a serious amount of people and it's not going to get any better they're like they're not looking at reclosing anything right now it seems and I, th- I think that's a conversation that needs to be had more is like at what point do we need to shut this down again i don't think that there's been a number put out there or some sort of level of infection that put out there like if we get to this level of infection again like we can't play the season and mm-hmm. I don't know if it speaks to us not seeing the virus as deadly as we thought it was at the onset, or we're just like, well, if we shut down everything, we're going to lose way too much money. So we might as well die anyway. Like, I don't really know what the mindset is there. You know, it's like, what, like, what are we, what are we favoring more than the other? Like, are we favoring the livelihood of the of the players and the staff more? Or are we favoring the revenue? I think at yeah. this point, it just seems like the revenue, even on the players' side too. Like, it makes me, unfortunately, and maybe, maybe not unfortunately, but kind of siding with Kyrie more on this <laughs> issue. Like, maybe we don't deserve an NBA season finish this year. Maybe this is bigger than like the revenue that the NBA is going to make than the economy. And that's a hard thing to say when you have so many people out of a job and so many people struggling right now um, to make ends meet so many businesses, but the NBA is not one of those businesses for sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. It, it's very concerning for me. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, I don't feel like there is a clear, right. I mean, obviously fundamentally you could make an argument for a right versus wrong answer. Um, but right now it's such un certain waters and bringing up the Kyrie point is another one. I think that's almost like its own thing that has kind of gotten wrapped up with this as well. Where like Kyrie, you know, took the angle of, uh, of, you know, deriving attention from the political protest movement with, which is correct as well. Um, But then you also have this now working against the NBA and it seems like as hard as Adam Silver and the NBA owners might want to make this work and maybe even some players as well too. It seems like there are there are barriers that we still have not crossed, and by we I mean like the country and all, and that including the NBA and the coronavirus being this is that the cases are rising, and I mean even when you talk about the death rate of this virus, it's like one to two or three percent. I mean mm-hmm. even with the a number like five thousand, we're talking two percent. That's one hundred and eleven people. Mm-hmm. Like so, I mean that's not a small number yeah. by any means, and. And all it really takes is just once for this to all blow up in the face of the NBA from a PR and from a branding standpoint, a stain that they probably will never be able to get rid of. Mm-hmm. Um, so then it comes to the question, like what, you, like you said, Sean, what is the cost benefit here of opening back up and risking 
you know, whether that number is one or 2%, which could be almost a hundred or it could be, or even just one death, like is one death, you know, worth, worth the, worth the, 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 the reward at the end, which is pay for players, pay for the owners, revenue for the league. And mm-hmm. also, you know, not to forget the little guys here too. pay for the, for the staff sure. and the hotels and all any local businesses in that Orlando area. Yeah. So I think it's a big question with like, I don't think a right or wrong answer at this point, just depending on which lens you look at. And from my viewpoint, I would say it's becoming, it's become it's becoming more difficult, I think, than the NBA anticipated to, to get this going. Right. Yeah. And on the Kyrie point too, it's like, yeah, for his point, obviously his was completely charged by him thinking the NBA wasn't going to do anything to help the Black Lives Matter movement. And I disagree with that. I think that the NBA being relevant and playing can do a lot for the Black Lives Matter movement. And I mean, I think Kyrie did some good in making sure that the NBA is going to do some stuff um, towards advancing that movement and doing some good there. And obviously you have all the players that are a part of that and they're going to do what they can to make sure that stays relevant as well. And I think the NBA season starting up is going to help that. But from the coronavirus perspective, I'm just, I'm not sure. Yeah. Like you have all, all of these players and I mean, we're we're seeing some of them come out even now, asymptomatic players that we, we would have never known to have the coronavirus if they weren't Mm -hmm. tested. You know, we had uh, Trevor or or not Trevor Reza, but uh, Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald's a big name. Coronavirus. Alex Len, Jabari Parker also on that team. Um, on the Miami Heat, Derek Jones Jr. has tested positive. Indiana, Malcolm Brogdon. And then I think the biggest name on here, Nikola Jokic, tested positive yeah. for coronavirus. He was hanging out with Novak Djokovic, probably at some party somewhere in Serbia. They both got coronavirus. <laughs> and and the, we haven't even gotten the full test results from all the teams yet, so there's bound to be more. Um, but all these players... They're asymptomatic, and they're still expected to play the rest of the season out because after two weeks, they're thinking, "Oh, I'll be cleared to play. I'll be. I won't be. I won't have coronavirus anymore." But it's just like we have no evidence on if you can get it again. We have no right. evidence on like what lasting effects this has on you. I just, oh man, there's just so many variables. Like obviously, I would love to see the NBA play out. But just based on the spike we see every day, like even here in like San Luis Obispo, we had 20 new cases yesterday. That's a big number for us in, in our county, yeah. where as before, we were getting like eight or nine in the county, in the whole county. And now we just doubled it, uh, which yeah. so obviously a lot smaller scale. But in the grand scheme of things, it's like, yeah, opening things up is just opening people up to more be susceptible to the disease. So, yeah, yeah it's sketchy. Exactly. That's that's what I think. And um, I think if if I'm leaning one way, I am leaning with you, Sean, as well as like, I think the NBA definitely needs to take a step back and really evaluate the situation and see where things are headed in the next few days. But things don't be don't seem to be trending. I don't I doubt we're going to see a reverse V shape here in daily <laughs> cases. Likely no. this 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 trend is going to continue to go up and we are playing with a lot of these right guidelines are based on very little to no evidence like two weeks like is two weeks really the proper frame time to quarantine somebody maybe maybe not but it's not really based on any anything that definitively says yes um so who knows if like 
after these players, you know, two weeks and then they're, are they 100% and ready to go? Probably not either. And like, what does that do for their, for their overall health and their overall fitness to play the game of basketball? And again, you know, not to forget the little guys here, like, and by little guys, I mean, obviously like the people who don't quite have um, the spotlight, like the NBA players Mm -hmm. and NBA, NBA staff does. And that's like the, the hotel staff and all these people who are making this operationally work like these people are also going to be at risk and they don't quite have the insurance policies and the quick access to medical uh, accessibilities that the MBA world does. So mm-hmm. there's something else to think about and it takes all it takes an army to make things like this work. And can you protect everybody? Uh, probably likely not. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that's a great point. You got to think about the little guy and then you just think about, how these cases are going to continue to increase. So right now, like like you said, 5,500 cases. If we're not going to close down anything, we're not going to flatten that curve at all. So we're just going to see that increase. And at what rate we see that increase, who knows? Like every day, if you're talking about even just it staying flat somehow, in between now and when the NBA season is supposed to start, which is July 30th, that's 100,000 people in Florida getting the coronavirus alone. If, and that's that's if I think best case scenario it stays flat like if only 5,000 yeah. new people get it every day like we're looking at over 100,000 people getting this thing in Florida by the time the NBA is ready to go there I just don't see how this is going to work I, I just <laughs> I really don't I mean you got um, luckily I think on the NBA's side you didn't really have any big names um, bow out you didn't have any big names bow out and say, I'm not going to play this season. Because like you said, the deadline was today, June 25th, for players to say, I'm not going to play in the bubble. And the only players to come out and say that were Trevor Ariza, Avery Bradley, Willie Cauley-Stein, and Davis Bertans. Um, with Willie Cauley-Stein and Davis Bertans probably being not that influential, Trevor Ariza could probably make an impact for the Blazers. Uh, he's actually not doing it for health concerns, but doing it because he only gets a one-month visitation uh, because of custody with his child. But Avery Bradley is a big hit for the Lakers um, if we're talking mm-hmm. about the season happening. And uh, he's probably the biggest name on this list. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough, tough one to see Avery. Like, and it all seems kind of weird to say this now because I feel like three days ago when the talks and rumors started circling that every Bradley was going to opt out. It seemed like a big deal to me. I was like, oh man, like this, this will be a blow because not because of anything every Bradley has done, but because of what Bradley could have done for the Lakers. Mm-hmm. You know, he had kind of an inconsistent season thus far, but uh, the one gem that stands out is obviously the recent game against the Clippers where he was just a force <laughs> over 20 yeah, points scored. Of course and, I had to watch that one live painfully. Yeah. Exactly. So it's hard to say that that's like the representative of who Ravy Bradley could have been in the M- in in the NBA playoffs. But at the same time, like anything prior to that, he he had some injuries. He was in and out of the lineup, and then he finally built some some consistency and ended up with that game. And could have there been more repeat performances from that? I like to think so, and I think every other NBA fan likes to think so. So from that view, yes, it if it's kind of unfortunate that this has happened, but. You know, more recently now, what out of everything we just talked about, I think that's more, you know, something more that I'm thinking about than the loss of Avery Bradley because I think it, at the end, it right now to me it looks like this might, this probably isn't going to happen. Honestly, I mean, <laughs> it, right I now. don't it's know. The way man. I'm feeling right now, it just seems like everyone's really stubborn to make it happen, though. You know, 
Yeah, that's the thing. It's like you're for you're really forcing it to happen. It feels and the next few days are gonna be crucial for Adam Silver and just everybody working with him to see how you can still make this work operationally and feel confident that you know you're not gonna have the worst case scenario at your hands, which is somebody or you know multiple number of people dying as a result yeah or being severe or or really sick as a result of like this bubble yeah and and by everybody i mean like players coaches staff Mm -hmm. media members yeah everybody totally especially yeah some of the older people i mean not to be like insensitive to them but they are at greater risk so you do have to be mindful of that and it, it i don't want this to take away though from the fact that the nba did try to put together as good a plan as they could and yeah. I, I mean, it still might work out. It still might work out. Maybe the bubble is an amazing system. It's just, it's hard to say because we obviously have the concerns with the staffers going in and out. If they're somehow able to convince all of them to just stay in the bubble, maybe it's okay. And like all of our concerns are fine. But I mean, you look at the security measures that they're going to, to make sure that this bubble stays secure, right? <laughs> like they, they have local state and even federal employees and some former special operations, like federal <laughs> government security that are going to be utilized to ensure these players are, are feeling secure and feeling safe in this bubble. Feel like they're not going to get sick. Feel like no one's going to intrude on the bubble. They're even monitoring on social media if people are like i'm gonna invade the bubble like you know like <laughs> they're, they're gonna actually be monitoring for that and make sure to squash those threats if if it looks like those are gonna be actual um impediments on the bubble staying i guess blown up and no one popping it and yeah i mean i i feel like they've gone to great lengths to make sure that all the proper security and law enforcement's in place to keep regulations going and keep everything operational and systematic and um almost robotic in a way so and that's the kind of the the discipline you have to have with this sort of situation so if this doesn't work then i don't think anything can work and then you're looking at there's not going to be any other sports that are probably going to be able to play either yeah if the nba can pull this off it would have to be one of the greatest like sports logistical achievements Oh yeah, I've ever I've <laughs> ever seen, and I probably have ever heard of. Like, <laughs> I mean, given the time frame and all the politics and um, and limitations of the current last six months, you know, because obviously, like putting together the Olympics or like a World Cup size event takes a lot of operational sure. work and yeah. stuff. But you have like years in preparation for something like that, <laughs> right? And this, this is, months, is like, yeah, yeah, we're literally talking about months, uh, a lot of video calls to make this happen. So if this does end up happening. It, it would be it would be tremendous tremendous for the nba and should should it should be deserving of all recognition i just kind of really want to just see it be safe and i don't want the nba walking around walking out of this with like a big stain on their brand and yeah. uh, the whole uh, you know overall uh from something just going bad but you know i guess if we were to look at it from the more optimistic lens here some teams have done their their some work, you know, to get ready for what could potentially be an uh, uh, incoming NBA year with the Mavericks, Wizards, Kings, and even the Lakers, you know, <laughs> now having to make moves to replace some of their players and get ready for a, for a, for a run and in, in this new resume NBA season. 
Right, yeah. So, I mean, the, the transaction window officially opens July 1st, I believe, but teams can start talking to players and basically verbally signing them on. So the Mavericks, they had to replace Jalen Brunson uh, with their roster because he's still going to be out uh, with an injury that he sustained in the le- later part of the regular season. So they're going to sign on Trey Burke, who most recently played with the 76ers at the beginning of the year. A good backup point guard to Luka Doncic, I think. Uh, probably mm-hmm. not a big needle mover, but I don't think any of these moves are really going to be needle movers for any of these teams. But mm-hmm. it's good to see the Mavericks being proactive because they're also not going to have Willie Cauley-Stein as a backup center or even maybe as a starting center. He was, he's kind of working his way into the rotation uh, when he got traded over from the Kings. Um, so I, I think uh, the Mavs are still going to try to be competitive and we'll see what they can do. But Trey Burke, I, I think he's a solid player. I, I think that's a really good signing by them. Yeah, I agree. And like I said, add another guard. You gotta you gotta have that depth there to your to your roster. And Trey Burke, you know, he's been around. He has some good moments. He's not bad. Yeah, he's not bad. I mean, I'm a big fan of Jalen Brunson. Honestly, I think he is going to become a starting point guard caliber player. Hopefully, he can get out of Dallas because he's never going to play in front of Luca. <laughs> uh, but I, I love Jalen Brunson as a player. I think he has great IQ. Really good eye for the game. Uh, so Trey Burke's definitely a downgrade from him, but it's decent. Yeah. The Wizards here bringing on Jerian Grant for the remainder of the season. Um, it's all right. Solid yeah. dude. Yeah. I th- Is he any relation to Jeremy, Jeremy Grant on the Nuggets? So that's what when you when I saw this, I quickly had to do a Google search because I was like, wait a minute. I thought Jeremy Graham was on the Nuggets because I thought they were the same player. Very similar uh, names. Yeah, I don't think there's there's any relation there. Um, no real big thoughts here other than you got to replace the players. So you had right. to do what you had to do. Yeah, I'm surprised the Wizards were able to find a player. They're like, hey, you want to play eight games and then we're going to be eliminated? Yeah, <laughs> like that's I mean, yeah, that's a hard one for for a team like the Wizards. Exactly. That's what essentially. That's what I'm like. Why invite the Wizards at this point, right? It's like, <laughs> who? Like, is Bradley Beal even gonna play? Like, who cares? Yeah, like, seriously. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Like, none of the none of these players obviously said they're not gonna play. You know, like mm-hmm. their the deadline for that's passed. But I don't know. Maybe he'll just play limited minutes. But yeah, this right. This is a whatever signing. <laughs> Yeah, and then the Kings bring on Corey Brewer for the remainder of the year as well. Corey Brewer still finding his way onto an NBA roster. Um, solid signing. I'm sure he's in shape and he's excited to, to ramp up. But again, it's like one of those doesn't really move the needle here for the Kings for a team who I don't think is going to get within that four-game bubble and go into that play-in game. <laughs> yeah, I think they're mostly worried that they have so many players with coronavirus that's like actually going to infect the rest of their team. So they need to sign a new, another person because none of their players said they're like officially not going to play the season. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's bounced around. I mean, he had a good stint with the Rockets. He's on the Lakers for a little bit too, right? Yeah, he was. Yeah. He, he's a solid He's player. a journeyman. So yeah, you know, that's fun. I, th- I think the, the most entertaining one that's not even an actual signing yet, but highly <laughs> speculated, it's probably going to happen as the Lakers are eyeing J.R. Smith to replace Avery Bradley. Yeah. I'm glad they used the word entertaining because that's <laughs> essentially what this story really is more than like actual basketball or who knows. I mean, he's J.R. Smith, man. He's J.R. Swoosh. No, I mean, J- yeah, J.R. Swoosh. 
I mean, I love J.R. Swoosh. I don't know if I love J.R. Smith. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, it's like J.R. Smith is not replacing Avery Bradley. Danny Green, KCP, Caruso's minutes split up in three ways is replacing Avery yeah. Bradley. <laughs> like, He's got that chemistry with LeBron, though. I guess if it means something like... I don't know. I think it's more likely that J.R. Smith is on this roster, and if the deep playoff run does happen, the NBA starts up, we see J.R. Smith a couple times. <laughs> but I, he is not the replacement for Avery Bradley, uh, and I think the, the the there's more story now than there will be when he's playing. Aww. However, I would love if J.R. Swoosh does come, yeah. and we do see J.R. Smith playing 15 minutes, 20 minutes a game, you know, rightfully appropriately because he's balling out <laughs> he's there he's balling uh, we need but, some game one redemption from that last final series he had <laughs> exactly like we need that redemption like it's hard to tell who jr smith is like last year he played he played a full season he, his numbers were okay and this last year he only played a handful of games so it's really there's nothing really to tell us uh, you know where he is basketball wise and he is all to be you know up front he is 33 34 now at this point so he is on the older side he's not quite the athletic J.R. Smith uh, of before but I mean we'll see if his shooting touch is still there at the very least <laughs> yeah, he better been get been putting up those shots in the gym man yeah exactly we need J.R. Swoosh like I said I love J.R. Swoosh so I'm not so sure I love J.R. Smith uh, but if I can, we can get Jar Swoosh, uh, I'll take him. I'll oh, take yeah. him. But <laughs> but it's the minutes of Danny Green, it's the minutes of KCP and Caruso that are really replacing every Bradley here. Not that I'm that excited about KCP getting more minutes. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see. He, he, he had some good moments. Uh, had some good yeah. moments there. Uh, any last uh, final thoughts here to close the podcast up, Sean? Ah, uh, man. I don't know. I, I want the NBA to happen so bad, but... I don't know. I'm scared. I'm scared. Um, yeah. This is a very scary moment right now for us as NBA podcasters, as NBA fanatics. I, I would say so. We are at a crossroads. We essentially got what we wanted, what we wished for, which was a confirmation, an official timeline of the NBA's return. However, the last few days, I'm not so sure I want this. Yeah. At least not in, not, not, not in this way. Yeah, I would have killed for this three months ago, but now I'm just like... Mm. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in and we hope that the NBA can figure something out and uh, the environment that the world is in today can improve a little bit to give us some basketball. But if not, uh, you know, we are fans of doing it the right and the safest way possible. Yes, sir. Uh, be safe, everyone out there and have a good week.